We are privileged to be joined by Binyamin Rose, the editor-at-large of Mishpacha Magazine. He was the news editor at Mishpacha Magazine for 14 years. Binyamin, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Yaakov. Thanks for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be with you. Our pleasure as well. Benny Gantz, of course, is Bibi Netanyahu's main rival in this election. Yet many analysts feel that the election is not as much about choosing between those two, but it's more about whether the country has Bibi fatigue and about Bibi Netanyahu's own sort of struggles. What are your thoughts about that? It's interesting, Yaakov, that you mentioned that because the term Bibi fatigue was coined in the 2015 election. That's when <laughs> a lot of people felt that well, we're tired of Netanyahu. We really need someone younger, someone different, someone who can get along better with President Obama. And now here it is uh, five years later or four years later, and President Obama is no longer President Obama. We have President Trump. And nobody's exactly talking about Netanyahu fatigue, but I think one of the big issues right now is uh, some of the uh, legal issues uh, that are revolving around uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's head. Uh, but that, uh, interestingly enough, has not been that much of a factor in this election. I, I, I still contend that this election, it, it, it's, it's not an election of personality between uh, Gantz and Netanyahu, because Netanyahu has a lot more personality. But it is very much a referendum on Netanyahu. Now, again, that's assuming that you're a Likud voter or, let's say, an anti-Netanyahu person. You know, if you always vote for Yadut Atara, if you always vote for Shas, if you always vote for Meretz, so then it's not a referendum on uh, Netanyahu, but uh, for the rest of the country, it is. Right. So you mentioned his legal issues. So let's explore that for a moment. Why do you think they have not played such a major role? Is it because the proponents of Netanyahu sort of view it as being trumped up as being maybe a witch hunt of sorts? You know, if you like Netanyahu, so you're going to support him almost no matter what. It's, it's the same thing in America with President Trump. Right. You love, either love him or you hate him. So it's the <laughs> same thing with Netanyahu. In this particular case, when you take a look at the charges against Netanyahu, now, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to minimize them because a person is not supposed to uh, take gifts or a person is not supposed to enrich themselves at the public expense. So if, if Netanyahu right. did accept gifts from friends, if he did accept favors from uh, uh, wealthy people, then it's a, it's a serious uh, moral issue that he has to come clean on and he has to uh, reckon with, with the, the voters. And he might also have to pay a legal price for that as well. But I think most Israelis, when you take a look at Netanyahu's accomplishments, when you take a look at Israel with a strong economy, uh, with a security situation that uh, we, we have dangers, but it's pretty much in hand, when you take a look how he's expanded relations in Israel with many foreign countries, including Russia, China, uh, India, India. Uh, yeah. the first two being countries that the U.S. Uh, doesn't get along with as well as Israel does, and you compare it to uh, taking a few cases of champagne and some cigars, and maybe bargaining for better coverage in the press. People just don't, uh, if you weigh the two on the scales, Netanyahu's merits outweigh his, uh, his debits. And I almost marvel because from an outside perspective, as closely as I do follow this, you know, when I look at some of Bibi Netanyahu's international accomplishments that you just referenced in terms of the economic buildup, the relationship with China, India, Russia, I mean, the United States, as you said, would not be able to have the sort of friends in so many different camps that Bibi Netanyahu has managed to create those relationships. Uh, does a typical Israeli see that and sort of recognize what kind of achievement it is? It's interesting that you asked that question because uh, I was watching an interview uh, between Gidon Saar and uh, the people at Ynet a couple of hours ago. 
And uh, what Saar was pointing out uh, to the media, and this was mostly uh, left-wing uh, interviewers, he said that uh, if someone on the left had the kind of accomplishments that Netanyahu had, you, you would be crowning this guy uh, a Gaon. <laughs> wow. But uh, because he's Bibi Netanyahu and because he's on the right, so you don't give him credit for the accomplishments. And uh, the reporters really didn't have too much to say to that. Wow. I think they know it's true. It, it, fascinating how it sort of, like you said earlier, reflects sort of what happens in the United States where this is, you almost feel like it's about Bibi Netanyahu, you know, kind of being just demonized by people on the left and so many of his accomplishments get ignored. And really the big question for Netanyahu now uh, in this uh, campaign with the, uh, as we're speaking, uh, less than two days left till uh, we actually go to the polls, is what kind of coalition he's going to be able to form. And, and that's really the question mark. It, it looks like Netanyahu is going to get first crack at forming the next coalition, whether or not Likud actually wins more seats in the blue and white, uh, uh, because they're just more parties uh, who are natural coalition uh, partners for Netanyahu compared to Gantz, who's a total newcomer. Uh, however, uh, it's very much up in the air, and it really depends on what other parties are elected and what strength they come in. And, and that, of course, also pertains to the Haredi parties as well. And the Haredi parties were very much a part of Netanyahu's last coalition, uh, but they weren't part of uh, previous governments that he's been in. So uh, as far as the uh, Haredi parties are concerned, they, they have to be very concerned watching these elections in the hopes that... Uh, and Netanyahu uh, will make the right choice and include them in and include them in early. Okay, you touch on a lot of interesting points, which I actually wanted to get to. So let's begin uh, here with the coalition, uh, forming the coalition, which is something I think a lot of people who are not familiar with the Israeli system and the parliamentary system find a little bit confusing because you just made a comment, which we'd never hear in the United States when they're electing a president, which is that regardless of who gets the most seats, Bibi Netanyahu will have first crack at forming a coalition. So can you just sort of walk us through the process without getting too into the weeds, how, that's, how that could work? That's actually one of the advantages of the parliamentary form of government, that uh, unlike the U.S., where a president could be saddled with opposition parties in both uh, houses of, uh, of Congress, uh, that can't happen in a parliamentary democracy. In a parliamentary democracy, uh, well, let's go to Israel. In Israel, the system works like this. Basically, after the election, uh, the different party heads will go to President Ruvi Rivlin and they will recommend who they think should be the person who should form the next coalition. Rivlin will listen to all of the recommendations and when he feels that he's got enough recommendations that the person who has been recommended to make the coalition has 61 votes, so then he will charge that person with making the coalition. So the conventional wisdom is that's going to be Benjamin Netanyahu because more parties will come and recommend him. So once that happens, and once Rivlin tabs Netanyahu, he has, a, I believe it's 42 days to form a coalition. And that's when the bargaining starts. That's when uh, Netanyahu, and he has a team, it's not just him alone, he has a team of coalition negotiators uh, uh, with the Likud working with him, will meet with the leaders of the different parties and basically, okay, you know, let's discuss your terms. What are you looking for? And he will tell them what he's ready to give. and. He does this with each party that walks in the door, and this uh, goes on over a period of a few weeks. Generally, this pretty much goes down to the wire. So the election is April 9th in two days. Uh, I would think that it would take uh, every bit of 
the five weeks or so that he's allowed in order to form a coalition. So I think you're looking uh, at mid-May before we actually have a coalition. So, right. And then that means kind of whatever the outcome is here this coming Tuesday, it's really going to be several weeks before we know what the results are, what the outcome is. It's a, you know, we'll, we'll know the results for sure uh, as far as the election is concerned at the latest uh, by Friday morning, if it's a very close race. So what happens is, is that uh, uh, the soldiers' ballots and the diplomats' ballots uh, can tip the scales. Now, Israel does not have absentee voting. Either you're in Israel on election day and you vote or you can't vote. There's no such thing as in America where I'm also still an American citizen and I can sit here in Israel and I can vote in American elections. And Israeli can't do that. You have to be here to vote. But it could take two or three days until all of the votes are tallied because uh, the soldiers, uh, they're all over the country, the diplomats are all over the world, and their ballots come in or are counted a little bit later. So we'll for sure know the results. We will have preliminary results on Wednesday morning, is real time, even though the exit polls will come out uh, as soon as uh, the, the polls close. If you want to put a stopwatch on it, so the polls close in Israel at 10 p.m., on Tuesday. So that's what, 3 p.m. East Coast time? So that's when the exit polls will come out and you'll get the first glimpse of who may have won. Except the exit polls in the last couple of elections have been- They've been wrong. Off, right. exactly. So usually by the next morning, uh, I'd say by the time that uh, people are ready to go to sleep in New York, you should know uh, who was elected. Again, unless it was so, so close that you need a couple of days for the diplomats and the uh, uh, soldiers' ballots to be counted. And, and then after that, then the, again, that's when the hard bargaining starts. That's when the coalition is, is put together. So even though we'll know election results by the middle of this week, uh, we certainly won't know the makeup of the coalition until four or five weeks from now, until it's finally decided. Although, once you see the results, you'll be able to start doing some educated guesswork. So I guess my question is then, uh, it, let's assume, uh, for argument's sake, that Likud has the majority of, of seats. Uh, how it is then pretty much then a given that Benjamin Netanyahu will stay on as prime minister or how, how much will depend on his ability to form a coalition, especially with there being so much contentiousness? You can be certain that if uh, Likud even has a one seat edge over uh, blue and white, then there's nothing, uh, if you're a Netanyahu supporter, there's nothing to worry about and Netanyahu will form the next coalition. I would also say that even if blue and white has one or two more seats, uh, than Netanyahu, then he's still uh, going to have the chance to form the next government uh, because blue and white won't be able to put a coalition together. This happened uh, in the previous election where Tsipi Livni actually, for Kadima, won one more seat than Netanyahu, but she couldn't put together a coalition. So Netanyahu got to do the job. The, the question would come in is if there's a big upset and let's say blue and white ends up with, let's say, 35, 36 seats and Likud only has 30 or 31. At that point, uh, all bets are off, and there's a possibility that blue and white could be tapped with forming the coalition, and they might even be able to make one. That would certainly be a fascinating outcome. What would be the best outcome that the Haredim can hope for at this point? The best outcome Haredim can look for at this point is the same coalition that they had uh, this time, uh, where you would have Netanyahu, let's say, Naftali Bennett, uh, the Haredi parties, and uh, I'm not sure if Kahlon is going to make the cut this time. And I'm not sure that Kahlon was such a great friend of the Haredim to begin with. Uh, but if you get uh, a couple of the other smaller right-wing parties uh, that are running, let's say uh, the, uh, I'd like to call them the Kahana faction, although that's not really uh, uh, exactly right. accurate. And also Moshe Faglin, 
so if you can get them in the coalition together, then I think that would be a Haredi-friendly government where the Haredi would get pretty much uh, uh, what they got for the last four years, which was good. And, and that would be the best outcome for them. The, the, the most difficult outcome for them would be uh, if Netanyahu decides, listen, let me try to pry away Benny Gantz and his resilience party from Yari Lapid. And let's say Likud gets 30, 32 seats and Gantz gets 15 or 16. And forget Lapid's 15 or 16, but Netanyahu might do the math and say, you know something, I can make a government uh, with Benny Gantz and a couple of other smaller parties. And then it's not a sure thing that he would choose the Haredi parties to be part of that. But I think that's a, uh, the, the least likely outcome. I, I would give that maybe a, a 10 or 15% probability. That's interesting. Uh, Benny Gantz, though, he has tried to sort of depict himself as being a friend of the Haredim and sort of express to the Haredim that he'd be better for them than Netanyahu. Is that correct? You know, Benny Gantz is really a political unknown. He's never held public office. And uh, when he was the Ramat Kal, when he was the uh, IDF chief of staff, so he didn't basically express political opinion. So we don't really know where he stands. Right. We do know that he hasn't uh, made any negative comments about uh, Haredim or religion. You know, Benny Gantz comes from the uh, old Israeli world, uh, where they understand that uh, this is a big melting pot here, and that uh, religion is a very important part of the life of the Jewish people here in the state of Israel today, and that respect for religion and respect for religious observance is, is very, very important, even if he himself uh, doesn't do it. And again, I don't know what level of observance he has or doesn't have, but he still has respect for the way that uh, the state was formed and the fact that there is uh, respect for religion. Uh, ha having said that, I, I also want to make one other point. Uh, Netanyahu has done a good job, and so has uh, other opposition, not, not opposition parties, but let's say uh, Ayala Chakade and other right-wing parties, of depicting Benny Gantz as a left-winger. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case. Uh, I don't know that I would classify Benny Gantz as a left-winger. Uh, Netanyahu himself has taken some positions in recent years, for example, uh, uh, tentative support for a Palestinian state in the 2009 Bar Ilan address, uh, the fact that for many years uh, building was uh, frozen in the settlements, even though now Netanyahu is saying, I'm going to annex the settlements, I'm going to apply Israeli sovereignty. Uh, now, we don't know where Gantz stands on these issues, but uh, I think it, uh, I, I think the uh, attempt to depict uh, Gantz as a leftist is a political move by Netanyahu. And I'm not sure that that's really an accurate description of Benny Gantz. Interesting. Yeah, and Benny Gantz, I, I believe, is trying to sort of paint himself as a moderate, as a centrist, for political reasons. It's a good point that you make. Uh, now, you mentioned his lack of experience uh, in government leadership. Uh, your typical sort of centrist Israeli or moderate left Israeli who, who is looking for a, for a change uh, from Bibi Netanyahu, is he concerned about Benny Gantz's a total lack of experience in, in government. He might be concerned about it, but it won't stop him from voting. For <laughs> if, uh, if, if, you, if you don't want Netanyahu back in office, then Benny Gantz is a reasonably attractive alternative. He'll do the job. Okay. Uh, recently, uh, last couple of weeks, President Trump and Vladimir Putin sort of handed Bibi Netanyahu two significant boosts, even though they didn't out and out endorse him. Of course, Trump recognized uh, Golan Height sovereignty and uh, Putin helped the, in the recovery of the remains of fallen soldier Sergeant First Class uh, Zachary Baumol after many decades. 
did are people viewing that as a de facto endorsement by Netanyahu and Putin? And do people care? Uh, absolutely, it's a de facto endorsement. And uh, again, uh, the Netanyahu supporters care. I think that the uh, Netanyahu, uh, the, the people who don't like Netanyahu and who will vote against him are probably really chafing at the neck because this really makes things much more difficult <laughs> for them. And you know, speaking about Trump and, and Putin, I, I can't blame them. You know, these are two men who have quite a bit of experience with Netanyahu. Uh, firstly, Trump and Netanyahu had personal relations uh, going back uh, years before Trump became right. president. And uh, Putin, who has uh, got to be one of the most difficult people in the world to deal with, <laughs> and, and he's dealing with one of the most impossible situations in Syria with so many factions involved. Yeah. And the fact that uh, Netanyahu and Putin have basically come to terms and come to understandings and, and they work well together. You know, if I were Putin and I were Trump, I, I, I cannot blame them for doing what they did. You know, they want the guy who they're dealing with right now to stay in office. Yeah, I was surprised that Trump didn't come out and endorse him. I know that these days it's viewed as interfering and, you know, something that's frowned upon. But since when does that bother Trump and interfere with him when he has something that he wants to do? Trump was very uh, laid back a couple of days ago. He said it's a close race and they're both good men. And uh, right. He's, you know, I, but he's, uh, you know, he's playing it smart in, in this particular case, and he should. He's got to hedge his bets also. As much as he might want to work with Netanyahu and continue on with him, you just don't know what's going to happen. And uh, uh, the last thing he wants to do is burn bridges and, you know, have Benny Gantz coming into office thinking that the president of the United States is my enemy or he doesn't like me or he's going to be difficult for me to work with because of my predecessor. Right. So, Trump is playing this one very shrewd. My, now, final question on the election. You know, from the outside, the media, the foreign media, not in Israel, you know, we're always, of course, focused on peace in the Middle East, Iran, the Palestinians. But there are a lot of domestic issues, of course, as well. We know about the draft bill and uh, the economy. And my question is, do you have a feel for typical uh, voter coming to the ballot box, coming to, coming to vote? what the number one issue is or the real main thing on their mind. Is it security? Is it the economy? Is it something else? When you say the economy, I think that definitely uh, economic issues uh, have come to the forefront in this election. Again, security, yes, people are worried about what could happen in Lebanon and what's happening right now in the South. Uh, you know, if you live in the South, if you live near Gaza in one of the farming communities or if you live in Sederot, so... Uh, life is uh, extremely difficult and, and, and extremely challenging and, and scary sometimes. And I've been down there during wartime and it's, uh, it's not easy when the sirens are going off and you have to literally run for your life. So uh, for those people, definitely security is the most important uh, uh, issue in this election. Uh, I think what's happened in Israel is basically there, there, are, so many, uh, there are so many imbalances in the economy that just have never been straightened out. Uh, and, and this is a big issue going forward. Uh, Moshe Kahlon likes to say that uh, he took care of a lot of these things when he was finance minister, but uh, it was a drop in the bucket. Uh, you have the same problems in Israel as you have in other countries where there's a big gap between the wealthy and the poor. Uh, you have still a lot of monopolies that are running things, and you have consumer prices and uh, uh, prices of housing that are... Uh, uh, that are totally out of line. You know, you're you're in Lakewood for uh, you know for five hundred thousand dollars, you can get a fairly nice house in Lakewood. For five hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> you can get uh, 
uh, about a five or six hundred square foot apartment in Yerushalayim. So, <laughs> oh, you know, these are these are these are things that Israelis are used to putting up with, but uh, it, it's become uh, it's become more difficult. Uh, uh, transportation is a big issue. Uh, you know, the bus system Eged is not what it once was, and there are more lines than ever, and more people riding than ever, and. Uh, uh, even though the road system has gotten better, uh, the train system, uh, the new fast line that was supposed to run between uh, Yerushalayim and Tel Aviv has been a flop. And, uh, you know, these are things that really need to be straightened out. And people are concerned about these day-to-day -day issues. But uh, I'm not sure that they're plugging it into the election because I, I don't know that anyone feels confident that anyone is going to be able to right. and tackle <laughs> these problems. Because, you know, the first thing that comes in, everyone comes in and to, to office and all of a sudden you've got these whopping big problems. You've got right. problems, you've got, uh, you've got the Arab-Israeli issue, you've got so many issues that prevents them from really taking charge and, and taking care of these day-to-day uh, uh, these, these -day living type of issues that really irk Israelis. So uh, I don't think that anyone feels confident that any politician is going to take care of it. And, and that's why it's been, even though it's on people's minds, they're not necessarily plugging it into who they're going to vote for on Tuesday. Well, we've covered an enormous amount of topics. You're really fascinating insights. We do want to switch gears for a moment because we were talking earlier and you had mentioned a career uh, involving radio. And in fact, I had warned you that on rare occasions, we might have some technical issues. And that was something that I was concerned about. I'm pretty sure this went through. I'm keeping an eye on the uh, recording devices over here. But uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? I like to tell stories from uh, from the past, and uh, I remember one time very, very early in my career, I was a newsman at a radio station in Dover, Delaware, of all places, but it was an interesting place because it was a state capital, so it was really a great place to work. Wow. Great experience, and it was also really close to uh, my, uh, I grew up in Passaic, so I was able to get back and forth uh, in three hours. It was uh, it was really nice. I was able to uh, keep in touch with uh, my family. And, uh, three hours each way or an hour and a half each way? No, three hours each way, but yeah, it's okay. a doable drive. Anyway, right. uh, there was one time that uh, uh, Pierre Dupont, Pete Dupont was the governor of Delaware at the time, and he had a news conference and I attended. And I thought I recorded the uh, interview. And when I walked out, I saw that I had a tape jam. Now, in those days, we used an actual small reel-to-reel -reel recorder. I had right. small tapes. And I thought it was rolling, but I saw it got all tangled. <laughs> and when I walked out, uh, I said, oh, my God. <laughs> now, in radio, there's really little recovery time because, you know, let's say if, uh, you know, the, the governor had a news conference at 11 o'clock in the morning, so maybe it breaks up around 12. And basically, you're expected... Uh, to have a report in the newscast at 1 p.m. So I'm saying, okay, I got to get back to the studio. I've got to get this report in. What am I going to do? So I said, I've got one choice. I've got to basically go back into his office, knock on his door, tell him what happened, and say, can you please give me a two or three minute interview so that I can recreate <sighs> some of what you spoke about? And luckily, he was still in his office. Or I should say, Baruch Hashem, he was still in his office. <laughs> and uh, he, he had the time, and he was very gracious. And uh, I got the interview, but that's uh, wow! <laughs> that is a great that's, uh, story. That's how you have to do things sometimes. Uh, yeah, you have, to, you have to recover very quickly from failure in this business or any business for that matter. Uh, which is true. Which you could do a whole separate show on that topic because it is so critical. That is really fascinating. How many years did you work in radio? I worked in radio for a total of five years at three different stations in the United States. 
in the United States. Did yes. you enjoy it? <laughs> Very much. I always say that I enjoyed radio more than anything else because of the immediacy, because you were always busy. It was that kind of job. There's not a second of downtime. But uh, one of the good parts is, is that uh, when you shut off the mic at the end of your shift, you were done for the day. And especially in this day and age where basically people work around the clock almost, uh, that was a real benefit. That is and, uh, I don't know that that's the case anymore, but uh, that was the case in the years that I was in the business. It was uh, shift work, and when I was done with the shift, I was off. Okay, but Yaman Rose, as I mentioned, we really appreciate this really very fascinating discussion here. Uh, I do hope we, we get to do this again. Binyamin Rose, the editor at large of Mishpacha Magazine, and of course was the news editor for 14 years. Thank you so much. Thank you, Yaakov.